broadcasting from Chico, California. This is the Barbless Fly Fishing Podcast, where we discuss NorCal fly fishing, guiding, fisheries science and management, conservation, and more. No better, fish better. Here's your host, Hogan Brown. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is the Barbless Podcast, and my name is Hogan Brown, and it is Easter Sunday here. Um, that's how busy life has been that I'm recording the intro to a podcast between egg hunts and Easter baskets, cooking hams, and like 30 people showing up to my house for said ham. So life's been busy. Spring is in the air. We've been getting some great rain here in Northern California. I've been out on the water the last couple days before that I was traveling, um, out to our industry's annual well, it's, it was an annual for a few years, but hopefully it has returned to annual trade show. Um, the International Fly Tackle Dealer uh, show out in the great Salt Lake City. Um, but last couple of days, been on the Yuba, been on Lake Orville, was on Lake Orville yesterday. It seemed like it rained the entire day. And apparently it only rained the entire day on Lake Orville because driving home, my wife said it was such a gorgeous day as I was drying out in my cab of my truck and I said, You're you're it rained all day. She's like, No, it's sunny here. Like, oh, perfect. But um fishing's been great on the lake. Uh we had a great day. Definitely in that like prime time, I guess spawn, pre spawn, um, just seems like there's fish everywhere type of period. So been good out there. The Yuba the Yuba was good. Um was out there after the kind of the first spits of rain. And the water was surprisingly off color, which, you know, when the water's down to 750, 800 CFS, any ability to numb the fish's senses to detecting flies is a welcome reprise. So it was nice to have a little color in the water. Um, fishing was, you know, steady. It was one of those days where we just kind of, you know, every moment where you're like, oh man, it's kind of getting slow. Whack, we get a nice fish or something like that. So, um, lots of bugs out, um, some gray drakes, March Browns, definitely a lot of PMDs and then some early caddis. It was kind of one of those days where there's a lot of bugs flying around, not a lot of fish rising. I think we saw like four or five fish rise the whole day, but, um, just kind of looking around in each run and being like, okay, what bugs am I seeing flying around and kind of switching flies out for that um, specific riffle was really what paid dividends. I went between a lot of PMD patterns and a lot of caddis patterns in each run to kind of find find what they wanted. Um, IFTD back in Salt Lake was great. Um, I hadn't seen, you know, I, I get to talk to a lot of industry people, a lot of my friends um, you know, as you, I think it's probably not really true to any, not just the fly fishing industry, but the longer you work in any business or industry, you meet people from all over the country and sometimes all over the world. And those are the people that I find that I've really missed with the whole, you know, COVID situation is they're kind of these people I'm really close with that I've known for 20 plus years that if you don't get to travel, you don't get to see. So it was really great to see everybody that gosh, that I haven't seen in a long time, a lot of hugs, a lot of hugs and just, um, 
I didn't realize how much I missed seeing people from all over. Um, it was great. Um, lots of new products this year, you know, supply chain issues continue to plague the fly fishing industry, like everything else. But, um, there's a ton of new stuff out, you know, a lot of innovative products, um, a lot of great awards given out some new companies. Um, and just a lot of, you know, it's interesting at this stage in the fly fishing industry is as much as our sport has grown. Um, it's great to see the growth and it's also great to see just people keep doing innovative and new things when, you know, you probably don't have to, when there's hundreds of people walking in that want to learn how to fly fish. Um, you can really just kind of do the same thing and probably make a living. But, um, there's a lot of people out there doing some incredibly, uh, new things with product design and such like that. So I encourage you to pay attention, support the people doing new and innovative things and, uh, always push yourself too. Um, a couple other cool things. I, uh, I actually competed in the iron fly. Um, I've, I've heard about these, um, but I've never dipped my toe into the, I guess, competitive world of fly tying. Um, there are these competitions and I, I don't know where they started, but they've had one at the trade show for a long time. And you got to think like this is, um, you know, the creme of the creme, the, the best of the best. Um, and the Ironfly competition at IFTD is always put on um, by Cheech and Curtis at Fly Fish Food, two great guys, super innovative. You talk about people doing innovative things and um, really pushing the envelope on a lot of the, a lot of things out there. I would highly recommend checking out Fly Fish Food and what those guys are doing um, from a business standpoint and at the Vice. But the idea was you get this box of materials, and uh, Marcos at Heronline donated an amazing box of materials, advice, tools, all sorts of great stuff. And they say, okay, you know, you got 10 minutes, tie your best fly. And they usually give you some parameters. So like the, it, it, not just your best fly, but I think this one was like, Hey, this, this fly has to fish. Like this has to be, it's not a piece of art, like make something that's going to bang some fish. And, um, so I dug through it. I was sitting next to, uh, my good buddy and guest on the podcast, Matt Calise and, uh, Matt's won this thing like multiple times. And, um, my whole goal going in was just to make sure that Matt didn't win again. I was just going to distract him because realistically from a technical standpoint, from like opening up a box of materials of completely unknown origin and like tying an amazing fly. I could not think of anyone better than Matt. Um, Matt is probably technically in skill wise, the most accomplished fly tire. I know the guy knows every material. He knows what to do with it, how to do it. He can do it and he can tie it in a way that, like catches fish too. So I had no hopes or designs of being successful at this game. So I sit next to him. I tie up a crawfish pattern, pretty straightforward. Awesome. You know, 
throw it in. I think there's like 20 dudes and they're going to narrow it down to five. And it's judged by Cheech and Curtis, uh, Marcos at Hairline, um, a couple different other guys from fly tying companies. And um, lo and behold, I, I made it to the next round of five. So sit down again and they throw in like a wild card, you know, um, like a new material essentially. And then you got to do the same thing. So they threw in these packs, big packs of like Eric's salt water and basically striper hooks, like just gargantuan hooks, the new, um, uh, Bremer hook, the like straight shank swim bait hook, like a bunch of stuff. And like, in my mind, I'm like, Oh, done. Got this tie a big fly easy. This is what I do every day. And so I started just basically tying kind of a beast style fly, like a big kind of palmered with, they had a bunch of, uh, craft fur in there and I'm tying this big and I'm like, Oh, this thing's wicked. This is going to pulse. It's going to, you know, and I get to like kind of the end of the fly and I'm like, I used like two materials in here. I barely used anything, but this fly is bitching. So let's roll with that. <laughs> and, uh, I look over at Matt and Matt's like cutting stuff and like super gluing stuff. And I see him spinning deer. I'm just like, Oh my God, what's he doing that? And I'm watching him. I'm like, that's not, Oh my God. And I see him throwing like all sorts of random stuff on this hook. And I'm just like, Oh my, whatever. And so you take your fly up there and, uh, everybody judges it. They announce first through third. I didn't get first, second or third. I was just stoked. I made it to the top five. They announced Matt, Matt wins again. I think it's like his third time winning this thing over the last decade. And, uh, I'm like, let me see your fly, Matt. And I like look at it and it is like this amazing streamer with like an articulated kind of body, spun deer hair with lead. I'm just like, Oh my gosh, this looked like cat barf when you were throwing it on the hook. I thought you were just, I thought you had reached <laughs> your limits and, uh, you pull this out. It was an amazing bait fish pattern. It was, I'm like, yeah, duh, you win. Awesome. So awesome experience, um, as my first introduction to competitive fly tying, but, uh, you know, walked away with some really cool materials and pretty fun experience. So other than that, got a bunch of guiding coming up the next week. Going to be out on the Yuba again, a lot of Lake Oroville. And then, uh, got the boat serviced up last week and, you know, basically stripers, gosh, starting in another week or two all the way through October. So, and, oh, and we got the trout opener Yeah, trout opener last Saturday in April. I mean, I don't know if the trout opener holds the same like reverie as it used to as like a lot of these places around California have started to be open year round or open, I guess with different seasons. So, uh, if you are planning on getting out for the trout opener, you know, good luck. Um, trying to get some guys on more trouty guys than me to talk about some of the stuff that's opening it up. So hopefully I have some trout, trout opener reports. So, all right. Well, on to our guest. I have a great guest this episode. One of my uh, friends, definitely, that I talked into being on the podcast while at IFTD, uh, Rachel Leinweber, um, manager, and I imagine at some level, 
owner of the Angler's Covey in Colorado Springs. So uh, enjoy the podcast. Have a great time out on the water and uh, take care. Hey, everybody. Cool. Welcome to the Barbless Podcast. I got a friend of mine, good friend of mine, Rachel Lineweber. Did I say that right? You did. Yeah. Ooh, dude, I'm not going to lie. I practiced your name. Not a lot of name. people do. Yeah, no. Like, <laughs> I... Uh, I don't, as, as we've discussed, I don't usually come into these things very well prepared just based on the amount of plates that I spin on a daily basis. But, uh, I don't think I've ever said your name correctly. So I was like, I'm going to kind of <laughs> like do some phonetics or some phonics and I looked it That's up awesome. and yeah. So I'm not going to say it again though. though. Yeah, no, I'm not going to no, say it again. Enough. That was it. Yeah, that was, that was that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a mic drop on that one. Um, <laughs> So for my listeners, I met Rachel, I think we've officially seen each other at least two or three times in person, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Maybe the rest is Zoom. <laughs> yeah. The rest is, uh, staring at my, uh, my laptop in my office. Um, usually on an after call of some sort. Um, how long have you been on the board now? Like two years, three years? Yes. This yeah. is my third year. Yes. Yeah. I finished someone else's term for two years and I was appointed and then just got elected this last fall. Okay. Yeah. I was trying to do the math on that. Cause I'm like, man, she's been around a while, but I don't remember her. I don't know. It all no, kind of blurs yeah, the together. Math doesn't add up. Yeah. yeah no, yeah. no, that's good. Cause my notes were not working out correctly. So I'm like, man, this is probably me, but we'll run with it. So, um, <laughs> and t- tell everybody what, what is your, uh, I, I guess your industry position or, or w- what do you do to, I guess, pay the bills. Yeah. Um, yeah. My everyday job that pays me is I'm the general manager at Angler's Covey Fly Shop. Um, and then on the side, I do fly fishing guiding, like so many of us in the industry do oh, on yes. the side. <laughs> we um, could not so, have one yeah. job. <laughs> no. Oh, no. I would drown if I only had one job. <laughs> yeah, right. It's so boring. Yep. Oh, gosh. And I'm also um, an instructor, so I teach a ton of our classes. So That's awesome. Yeah. yeah and I was doing... I. So like I knew, I don't know. I think when you were introduced to the board now has, did your dad serve on the board at one time? He did. Okay. Yep. So I like, I don't remember his years, but it was, it's been a while now. Yeah. Cause I, somebody mentioned your dad and your parents own the fly shop that you work at. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Since 96. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cause okay. I was doing, I, I read through the website. You guys have a very thorough story, which was actually, I was really interested in it, to be honest with you. It's a really cool story, but, uh, so your dad, as the story goes on the website, your dad moved to Colorado Springs in 1990. Yep. And so it said, it said a decade of working in the outdoor industry. What did he do before? What was that working in the outdoor industry? Yeah. Um, so he did a few things. Um, he and one of his good friends, Brian Chickwitz, is also an entrepreneur. And so um, Dave worked in this shop that was kind of ski and bike called Chickenhead Mountain Sports, okay. um, which I still have T-shirts from back then. He did that for a long time. Um, it was kind of just like a punk rock yeah. mixed with ski mixed with mountain biking. So okay. Um, and then then he moved down to Springs and worked at a shop called Grand West. Okay. which no longer exists, sadly. Uh, but it's basically just a mountain shop. So they did climbing, tents, sleeping bags, pretty yeah. much anything general outdoor you can think of. Gotcha. And then he started working for Kent and Kurt Brecke at Angler's Cubby. Yeah. Um, 
and just started life there in 96. That's what the website says. Whenever I was in kindergarten. Yeah, that's okay. (laughs) I I was in kindergarten when they did that. That's good you said that because I I wanted to really avoid the like, hey, when were you born in this timeline? Because my mom told me to never (laughs) ask a young lady when she was born, but you you did it there. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yep. <laughs> so he bought he bought the shop outright in 1996. That's cool because that's you know it's funny. I was reading this and I'm like, usually people that I've experienced in the outdoor industry, the last thing they want to do is own a fly shop. And I thought that yeah. was, but I was trying to do the th- the math on that. That was like the river runs through it. Boom. That 96, 97. So like it kind of probably fooled him into thinking there's like a lot of money to be made in fly fishing on some level. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Jokes on us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jokes on um, us. But exactly. They were, um, so Ken Kurt Recky, those brothers brought David and my dad to ideally open a second location. Mm-hmm. But then once he started doing that, they realized that they weren't even really passionate about that business anymore. <laughs> um, Kent, he's the best. He's a hunter. That whole back room was just, covered with skins of birds and then all other different uh, four-legged critters and stuff. Like that was more his life and he wasn't big on the people side, though he was awesome with people. Um, And so that's why uh, my dad just bought it from him and we just stayed family friends with those guys for a long, long time. That's awesome. Yeah. It was a good transition, I think. Um, And my dad, he's such an entrepreneur, like in, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> oh, dude, I was so like, I mean, I was reading through the the about us and I mean, you went from basically what it sounded like the original shop was like in a little house it was, and now you yeah. have an 8,500 square feet. Like I, it, how many, yeah. I, so there, I didn't realize there's, you guys have Colorado Tackle Pro, which is like yeah. a conventional shop. Uh-huh. Then you have Pikes Peak Outfitters, which is like the paddle store. Yes. And yep. then Angler's Covey. Right. Yep. And we, we built the building that way on purpose. Cause, okay. So we built the building in 05 okay. um, from just a plot of land with the idea that, you know, make some residual income by yeah. having tenants in two spots within the building. We thought that'd be great to help pay down a mortgage. And That's probably a horrible <laughs> idea, right? That's like, oh, yeah. never do that to anyone. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> funny because it. I have a couple no. clients that like... Oh, I can think of one in particular, a very dear friend of mine. He was a dental, yeah. he was a dentist and he built like this dental complex. Dude, he sold mm-hmm. that thing in like three years. He was like, I'm done. Yep. Out. Oh, I'm gonna, yeah. I own my office and that is it. Well, that was exactly kind of the point we were at. It's like, well, we don't want tenants because these people don't pay their bills. <laughs> they do sketchy stuff. We had a cigar shop that made all of our clothing smell like cigars because they just wouldn't stop smoking inside. And <laughs> oh. it's just, it was kind of a nightmare, but yeah. it kind of was good for me. So I was um, in college and business school at the same time that decision was made. Um, and then we kind of did the market analysis in the outdoor world and be like, what's missing in Colorado Springs? Um, yeah. What could people really benefit from? And as a lot of people work in fly shops now, a lot of people come into your shop and say, Hey, you got any worms? <laughs> and we sold gummy worms for a long time so that we could say, yeah, they're right here. Um, that's which good. Is just really snobby of us, but yeah, uh, we wanted to be able to offer it. We were like, there's so many people coming in here. Like we want to be able to offer those people what they want, but we yeah. don't want to piss off any actual snobby fly fishermen who don't want their fly shop to be selling bait. So yeah. we created a new shop, um, Colorado Tackle Pro. 
Um, and then I had a guy who's obsessed with that world managing mm-hmm. that and he's still managing it. Um, he's awesome. That was in 2013. Wow. And then at the exact same time when I was getting my business degree, um, said, Hey, I want to do a water sports shop in this side. Um, and so got my feet wet and kind of used it as my training wheels business opportunity to yeah. how do I create a business plan? How do I create a product mix? How do I paint walls and decide what colors everything should be yeah. make a logo so pike's the outfitter was really my baby for a long time in and that world were you into paddle sports going in or were you just like this is the good business move uh both okay. um super okay. into kayaking um mostly because i lived in alaska for two summers and we just did a lot of that so it was huh. something i really enjoyed i'm happy on any type of water yeah yeah for place. sure for so, sure but fly fishing is a hundred percent more my passion than kayaking, yeah. <laughs> which is why I'm where I am now. Yeah. So, so I still love kayaking, but it's not my jam. Now, like, is it, is it like whitewater kayaking or is it like, you know, booze cruise around the lake kayaking? Like, is there good question? Yeah. Um, no, we don't do any whitewater. Okay. Um, that market okay. is pretty saturated, uh, on the Arkansas river, which is our closest really gotcha. good whitewater area. Gotcha. And we didn't want to play that game. Um, especially cause I didn't have any expertise in that whatsoever. So I didn't want to just even touch it, but yeah. no, so we have a bunch of lakes around us, especially on Pikes peak. They're gorgeous. Mm-hmm. So we pretty much just do um the recreational kayaks and we rent them but then we've gotten super into kayak fishing uh, which was an obvious thing for me because i wanted to fish whenever i'm on a kayak yeah you can't be on a kayak and watch fish rise around you and not like get super irritated about that if you don't have a rod so yeah no that's a logical next step that's interesting so are all these shops like interconnected or are they separate like completely separate entities Nope. So they're all, they're interconnected. So same building. We have one main hallway where if you just go straight, you're in the fly shop. But if you turn left, you're in the boat shop, turn right, you're in the tackle shop. Gotcha. Um, okay. But during COVID, it made staffing kind of weird. Um, yeah. And because our staff in the fly shop are very well cross-trained for our kayak store, mm-hmm. we just, while we were closed, we cut a hole in the wall between the <laughs> two that we call our portal <laughs> so that staff can go back and forth and work those shops at the same time. Um, gotcha. Which is been a lot better yeah you get creative in COVID time oh hell yeah hell yeah so I was super interested because when I was reading like all the worlds that live under one roof like yes those are if you know the outdoor world those are not all these all these worlds that live happily together you know very true um the kayak a little different like I know in California the whitewater scene is not always in line with the fly fishing or the fishing community based on like pulse flows and stuff that they want right. for various rivers and such like that. Um, the, the gear fishing world out where in California is, I think probably some of the more progressively integrated fly fishing scenes that you'll find. Like, I mean, I don't, mm-hmm. I, I guide stripers and largemouth and a little bit of trout and I don't really hang out with a lot of fly fishing guides. You know, it's, I mean, they yeah. hang around gear guys um, and, you know, bass fishermen and fly fishermen are very symbiotic in our world is how does that go in Colorado? Cause I don't, I don't know yeah. much about that. 
I think it might depend on where in the state you are. Uh-huh. Um, where we're at is kind of a sweet spot because we're right between Pueblo and Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in Pueblo is a great warm water fishery. Mm-hmm. So a bunch of our customers buy stuff to go down there. Gotcha. And that works really, really well for us. Um, but those same customers are then by being in the same building tend to get drawn into the fly shop and then take our fly fishing classes and then do rivers and just regular fly fishing as well so it's kind of created a nice little i don't know we call it our feeder shop a lot of times too. yeah yeah for sure people learn fishing like conventional fishing which is awesome yeah Um, and we love to teach kids to do that have kids derby stuff like that um but it kind of it feeds both ways yeah yeah so is the conventional angling market out there like because i was looking on your website and it it looked like you have the two rivers, which are the the Arkansas and the South Platte, and then a yep. ton of lakes. And yes. like that's a much probably much more logical crossover point in a lake than, you know, say the South Platte or something. Exactly. Um, yeah. Are those all trout or do you have pike and other kind of crossover species like largemouth, smallmouth in those lakes? Yeah. Um Yes, to all of you, but <laughs> depending yeah. on which oh, one okay. you Okay, cool. Um, the ones on Pikes Peak that we have just a lot of recreational people going to, not mm-hmm. necessarily diehards, um, yeah. has mostly trout, lake trout, and then they introduce tiger muskie as well. Oh, wow, yeah. Uh, which are freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, yeah, I'd nerd out a little bit. Even when we're doing kayak tours up there, and so yeah. I'm doing a tour that does not involve fishing, you'll see one of those swim under your boat and freak out and no one else cares, but, yeah. um, but then some of our other higher mountains, so spinny and 11 mile, those have pike in them. They're mm-hmm. trying to get rid of the pike, um, and spinny, but then if you go South, drop your elevation, then that's where we get our bass, our walleye, uh, wiper down in Pueblo and in some areas around Pueblo. So it's oh, an wow. elevation game for us really. Gotcha. And now has that like non-traditional, fly fishing for those species is that catching on out there or is it still basically trout town type of stuff yeah i believe it's catching on but it may just be me because i'm biased because i want to go after those species Um, i've done trout my whole life and so um, even just carp is i freaking love carp because it's different than a trout you have to have different skills you have to be better a lot of times um, so it seems like we're answering more and more questions of customers coming in asking us about those species or seeing that we have a bass popper section and being like, oh, I didn't know there were such thing as flies for bass. Yeah. And then we can enter into that conversation with them. So it seems like it's growing, um, especially from those guys who are and girls who are already Colorado Tackle Pro uh, customers over there who are used to catching bass and yeah. they want to take the next step in their fishing, learn how to fly fish. They still want to go after those same species. So it is a happy little world where everyone can do all things. That is. And so one thing out here that's really interesting is, you know, striper fishing and largemouth fishing and all that stuff with yeah. a fly rod is been pretty popular out here for a long time in California. We've even seen, and I'm definitely part of this, like I got into gear fishing to learn more about those types of fishing to then apply to my fly fishing. Does that make sense? Yes. No, it does. Cause that's and exactly so do you have, that way. yeah. Do you have people that are like, cause my whole pitch to people like with warm water fishing is like, dude, 
don't listen to a fly fisherman. Like go listen to the dudes who are running the hundred thousand dollar boat and have, you know, 50 G Loomis robbed spread across the front of it. Like those are the guys that know what's up. So like, Absolutely. do you have people like some of your more, I guess, keyed up customers that start may maybe migrate over to that tackle shop to learn more about some of those non-traditional species? Definitely. Um, and I would say even our employees too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's where it starts, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, exactly. We'll go over to the bait shop and talk to Chris for a long time. And <laughs> I've learned and great. He fly fishes as well, but he is really deep in the yeah. conventional fishing gear world. And I've learned so much from him just even about, um, gosh, what should I like walleye? I didn't know how they acted. I knew they looked cool and they tasted good, but I yeah. didn't know anything about their life. Uh, or even what they're interested in, how to catch them. Yeah. Until I learned from him and all his knowledge about the conventional world. And that's the only reason I started to learn how to cast even a spinning rod was mm-hmm. after talking to him and being like, oh, this could really help for this. And yeah. Yeah. It's, that- it's so fun. We see a lot of customers starting to do the same thing. More are, um, are regulars. For sure. Yeah, like those kind of higher level people. I don't want to say higher level, but people that have been doing the fly fishing thing a long time that are like maybe trying the newer stuff and yep. not, you know, not arrogant by any means know that like, oh, well, those guys over there know what's up. Like, I got to go figure oh, this yeah. out, you know. So I've kind of gone oh, in reverse like that, too. You know, I've, I've when my kids were young, younger, mm-hmm. like that's what they could do is they could throw a bait caster and a spinning rod. So like I completely went, I mean, you want to talk, you, it's everything thing too. People think fly fishing has a lot of gear and is expensive, dude. Like, Oh gosh. Dude, <laughs> open up a conventional bass anglers like boat and tell me that fly fishermen have a lot of stuff, dude. Like, so oh, I mean, man. I went, I went deep into the, uh, into the gear world and it, it was a dark pit of, uh, tackle warehouse purchases. So, um, oh, yes. I'm just curious if that's another, you know, with those two worlds basically right there in the same roof, like how do they cross pollinate? That's always interesting to me. So it is. Well, and then our kayak shop feeds right into that, especially because we're a Hobie dealer and yeah. a lot of guys on Hobie's granted, we all fly fish off of them. Yeah. Super easy to do because you can stand on them. But um, that goes right into the conventional and bass world and even the competition world of competition kayak fishing. Yeah. So that's really, t- all you know, three go together. Yeah. And that's one thing I've started to really notice a lot more on some of the reservoirs that I guide is these dudes in these, I mean, tricked out, right? Like straight up oh, yeah. tricked oh, yeah. out kayaks probably cost as much as my drift boat all said and done. Easily. You know what Easily. I mean? Yeah. Um, and that, like, it's funny. I used to think of a dude in a kayak as a guy that couldn't afford a bass boat. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, yeah. Like, the price of the kayak is very easily a down payment on a bass boat. Like, he's making a conscious choice to fish that way. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. And and I've I've kind of figured that out probably over the just the last couple of years as I've seen these dudes at the ramp, and I'm like, that's a conscious choice to fish that way. And I've always been kind of interested in that. And is, but it, it is this complete underground scene of dudes that are into kayak fishing. Oh, it is. It's a whole different world with totally different languages. Um, but you're right. We actually have a lot of people who have the fancy bass boats who sell them to get a kayak. Really? And, 
Oh, yes. That's a really very common thing for us. Um, and wow. co- part of it could be our location, too, because a lot of our lakes are non-motorized. Oh, so okay. it doesn't make sense for them to do that. So gotcha. they, can, they have a lot more options if they get a kayak with a little electric trolling motor. Gotcha. And they can go anywhere. Or even just with the Hobie's pedals, you can go anywhere um, and just have more fishable water and more opportunities that way. But I think also part of it is the culture has just drawn so many more people in the last gosh, four or five years, I think. That sounds about right. I mean, that's, I guide a a fairly large and famous bass lake around us, like Orville, probably about four months, five months out of the, eh, four months out of the year. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of the prime time to be there. And when it's going, there's dudes, I mean, there's a lot of kayaks out there and uh, they're not the cheap kind you see at the, you know, the pond where kids are falling off and rolling on them. I mean, they got just as much electronics as I got on my center console. You know, it's, it's nuts. Big time. One of our good friends, Jeff, he's also one of our Hobie team members. We make fun of him for so long because we were trying to get him to convert to fly fishing for a while, but he, his boat, I think I asked him and he has around 18 grand into that thing. (laughs) <laughs> which to me is absolutely absurd and just ridiculous, but it gives him so much life and joy. And so he <laughs> cannot give me a hard time by carrying four or five fly boxes on me. Totally. Compared to all those rods, all that gear, like all the imaging stuff. Like, totally. I mean, I'm a total bo- boat dork. Like, I mean, I got, I mean, I buy, I don't think I've ever paid over $10,000 for a truck, but mm-hmm. I got a lot of nice boats. And so I have no yeah. problem spending money on boats, but like, if I'm spending 18 K, like I ain't using human power to move. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yep. It's probably not a plastic. Exactly. That's awesome. Oh, it's so fun. We give him so much crap about it, but yeah. he's legit and he goes to all the kayak tournaments and, um, we still give him a hard time cause he enters all of them. He hasn't wanted to get, so. <laughs> I'm not sure what he does with all that fishing gear that he's got on that boat. But. He's the guy with the nice boat that comes in, you know, last. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's funny though, because a lot of, a lot of the tournaments and stuff out here are definitely, they definitely have that kayak class, you know, and that's mm-hmm. a thing. So oh, it's huge. And it's just a fun way to, well, especially out here, we get our rivers, especially after COVID. I know everyone across the country is experiencing this, but a lot of our rivers are almost to their max with anglers. And oh, yeah. Everyone wants that river runs through it. It's Colorado experience of skiing yeah. and running water. But you can find huge fish, tons of fish away from people. And we still, we really still see still water as the next frontier and the where to go with fly fishing. Um, Because you can only put so many people in Deckers on a Saturday in July. It's just, you can't get many more. And so all these other fish and spinny reservoir are just being untouched. And they're the cookie cutter 22 to 26 inch rainbow every time that are just left alone unless you're on a kayak. That's not, so yeah. Cause awesome. I talk about that. I, st- I stopped guiding steelhead a number of years ago and now I guide bass all winter. And, mm-hmm. you know, I talked to my buddies that are still guiding coastal steelhead and stuff. And it's just, I mean, it's packed, right? Just gong show. And it's Completely. like, I'll show up to the boat ramp at the lake and yeah, there may be 50 boats there, but like, I don't see any of them. <laughs> you exactly. know what I mean? 50 yeah, bass boats trailer, on a, yeah. yeah 50 bass boats on a giant lake dude like i'm like sweet i ain't running into anybody you know maybe you exactly. see one blasting by once or twice but 
me put 50 drift boat trailers on a trout or steelhead river and dude, you're like, there's fist fights, you know? Absolutely. Well, and it just becomes petty sometimes. And totally. You see a lot of license plates from out of state and people oh, get yeah. mad at that. And it's just, it can get ridiculous. And as a guide too, for clients, I want them to have an experience that they'll remember positively. And you can totally do that totally. at Deckers or any of our rivers, but on still water, like if they catch a huge rainbow or a pike with no one yeah. around, they can just have conversation all day, kind of like be at their pace, at their leisure. It's just yeah. so much more of a, a good experience for them. Yeah. So I, I, I did my, um, I did my, I guess my obligatory type in your name into Google and see what comes up search on you. That's <laughs> oh, kind of no, how, yeah. yeah. No, I didn't, I didn't find anything bad. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> so I, I started reading, um, you did an interview with fly Lords a while back and oh, yeah. Yep. yeah, I was reading through it and actually read the whole thing. I didn't just look at the pictures. Um, nice. yep. Yep. And, uh, you said a few things in there that like really hit home with me. You were talking about growing up and you got to go fishing and camping and not do like go to the mall and like do that yeah. like normal type of stuff. And like that totally hit home with me because I, I grew up on like 20 acres on a trout river and like all my friends lived in town basically mm -hmm. in these neighborhoods and like, you know, got to like ride their bike to their friend's house and like all I could yeah. do was like fish and shoot BB guns and stuff, which my friends thought was the coolest shit in the world because they lived in neighborhoods. Right. But yep. like, it was really funny. I was wondering like, is that and there, and here's the deal. There was that gap there. And I don't know, maybe this is with you too. There was that gap there where like, I was not into fly fishing because like, I always say like, you know, being in a rock band and like girls were way more interesting for those like, yeah. say, you know, <laughs> formative years. <laughs> yep. But I, I really got back into it obviously. And did you feel, was your childhood very different than like a lot of people growing up with parents that owned a fly shop than like most of the people you knew or I would say for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, first, a lot of my friends had no idea what fly fishing was. Um, still, some of my friends don't really get it. They're like, why would you catch a fish to put it back in the water? Like, so that just the concept of yeah. what our store was. But then also that um, growing up, we would have sleepovers where um, for the evening, we would have a pizza party at the fly shop where we counted flies, which now I'm like, child labor laws are in question there. But we would, all our friends would come over and we'd all count flies and do the fly inventory at the shop. Yeah, and we'd get to have a sleepover afterwards. So it's stuff like that that's just very different. But also <laughs> weekends were spent backpacking, fishing, yeah. hiking, just going and exploring. And now, of course, hindsight, I'm super thankful for that. Right? Like that's kind of how I am too. Now, did yeah. you did you did you drag friends along on those trips? Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah. definitely. More towards high school. Um, yeah. I would get some of my like girlfriends to come at least like sit up at the <laughs> tent with me, like yeah. and just hang out. Um, well, and then that was too kind of I got super into basketball. That was kind of my gap, not a rock band, but yeah, basketball. Yeah, yeah. Way more healthy activity. My life. Yeah, way more healthy <laughs> yeah. activity. Oh man. It was it was bad, but it was good, but I almost say luckily I got injured, tore my ACL and had to figure out what is outside of basketball in life. Yeah. And, um, all, a bunch of my friends started thinking 
you know, fly fishing is cool. How can you seriously, you have a fly rod? You get yeah. Like that, that was, then, so that was my next question is when, when yeah. did it come full circle where like your friends and you, I mean, more importantly, your friends, cause let's be real. Like you, I mean, for me, it was like oh, yeah. junior, senior year in high school, like first year of college where like all of a sudden, like fly fishing was kind of like cool again, you know, or like your yeah. friends at least were like, dude, show me how to do that. Or like, you know? Yeah, it was exactly the same for me. I would say around senior year um, yeah. of high school, because that's right when I got injured. I was like, oh, I can't only hang out with all these athletes all yeah. day long because they're at practice. So got more hanging out with my other friends um, who are a little more outdoorsy inclined. Yeah. And then obviously being a girl and boys being like, oh, she knows how to fish. They're yeah. like, will you take me fishing? And of course you're like, you're cute. Yep. <laughs> So that was like a really easy way to be like, oh yeah, I have a skill. Maybe I should do it. And then yeah. I was like, oh no, this is actually really fun. And then it just took over. That's awesome. As many passions do. Oh yeah. No, totally. Totally hit home with me. Cause I was like, man, I, I bet I felt the same way she did. Cause it That's was, awesome. yeah, I, I, rem I remember, you know, it was all of a sudden seeing junior, senior year, you know, and I actually, it's funny you say you, you, uh, you got boys to go with you. Like I even got a few girls mm -hmm. to go with me and try it out with me. I, I don't think it's stuck, but you know, they no. went. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I would just get annoyed at that point. I'm like, all right, no, I want to fish. I don't want to just like, yeah, dude, you're dead you. weight. You're like, dead weight. You don't, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it never really worked out well. It still doesn't really work out well, but yeah. Well. And then, so where'd you end up going to college? Yeah. So I went to UCCS. So here in Colorado Springs, Okay. Um, originally, I did a semester up at Fort Collins, uh, at CSU up there, mm -hmm. and then it was just so big. I was like, "Nope, I don't want to be in a class of 300." So yeah, I uh, moved back down to Springs and loved it. Um, I I would not recommend anything more than the school. It was just so good. Yeah. Um, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. I you know had the business in the back of my mind because I kind of inherited that little entrepreneur thing from my yeah. dad, even when I was little, like get in trouble for selling cupcakes out of my locker and stuff like that. Um, so I knew I kind of want to do something in the business world. So just went to business school, um, thought about being an accountant because I was very good at numbers. Oh, you're way too cool to be an accountant. do them. <laughs> well, and then my mom worked at an accounting firm. So I'd spend time over there and I was like, I don't want to work with accountants. Yeah. Like this is uh, in a cubicle. All this is, Oh, that's so, death. <laughs> yeah. So drastically changed. And that's when Pikes Peak Outfitter and the Covey came more into play. That's awesome. Yeah. So were you fishing when you were in college and like working yeah, at the shop yep. and stuff like that? Yeah. Yep. Um, and I always worked at the shop when I was yeah. around like 13. I was our bookkeeper up until around high school when I really got into basketball and didn't have the time. Yeah. Um, and then I started when social media was a baby, I started our Facebook page. So I nice. did our, um, I would say marketing in quotes because it didn't really exist. I mean, a high schooler was running it, but yeah, did yeah, all yeah, that yeah. too. Um, definitely worked the counter a lot with our guys who had been there for 20 plus years with us. So, um, oh yeah, I've always been a part of the fly shop working there. Um, but I never called it like, my career because I hadn't decided yet. It was just what you do. Yeah. Part of the family. This is what you do. That's funny. You know, the last thing we want to become is our parents, right? 
you know? Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then there's those moments. I'm sure you're much younger than I am, but you have those moments where you look in the mirror and you're like, holy shit, I look just like my dad or I look just like my mom. And yep. I just did exactly what they do. <laughs> so, oh yeah. Yeah. I've been called mini days at work before. They're like, is that mini days? And I'm like, nope, nope, that's that right here. Uh, but like, it's th- mostly with like good qualities. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it gets any better though, man. The older you get, like the more you're, uh, especially once you have kids, I think, like you start to uh-huh. do things that your parents did to you and you're like, dude, I hated that when my parents did that, but it oh, kind of no. makes sense right now. Kind of makes <laughs> sense right now. Yep. <laughs> Lots to look forward to then. Yeah. So, so you also said in there developing confidence and that was another thing that hit home with me. Like I, uh, I've, I've, I, I think probably one of my number one qualities is like that insecurity that motivates you. You know what I mean? Uh Like that lack of confidence that just continues. You never feel like you've worked hard enough, done enough, good enough, know enough, you know, that type of thing. And how, I mean, obviously being a female in the fly fishing industry is a a unique situation, but I I think being a young person at that age that you came into the sport in the fly fishing industry is just as challenging, no matter what, you know, gender you may be. How was it, you know, how was it being the you know, I mean, you have a baby face now, so I mean, I'm sure you didn't look <laughs> yeah. older then. You know, no. what was that like? It was interesting. Um, I would say I got really blessed to work with the guys that I worked with in high yeah. school when I was working the floor at the shot. Yeah. Um, because when a 17 year old tells you what flies you should pick out, there would be times where I'd say, you know, I would do this, this, this. If you're rigging three, fly, three flies, do them in this order, this far apart. Um, and then that customer would go ask um, one of the guys the exact same question yeah. after I had just answered it. But they are so amazing that they would just back me up yeah. um, and just say, well, she already told you. So um, not that best customer service, I would say, from them, but <laughs> they had my back. <laughs> but a lot of it, too, was me going out there and testing things that I knew or t- things that I thought might be the case and just realizing, no, I actually do know this. Yeah. Um, and having to prove it to myself, honestly. So I think the hardest thing was proving it to myself and proving it to other people. Yeah. Once I know that I know something, then it's usually like, I don't know, the way you communicate it, usually people just trust. What yeah. You and if they, you know if they listen, they listen. If they don't, they don't. And if you have confidence, yeah. you don't care. <laughs> you exactly. Know? That's, yeah. that's exactly right. But I have noticed the older I've gotten, the less I have to explain or prove myself to anyone. Yeah. Um, and I don't know exactly what that is other than I think a lot of it is age, which is really unfortunate. I just hired a girl who's in her very early 20s and um, she's had to deal with some of that and is probably will continue to. But yeah. um, I think it's getting better, I will say, than it was 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah, no, that hit home with me because I remember like that was – I. That was, that was a tough one, having confidence, right? Because you're working yeah. with, I mean, you're working with people that are, at least when I started in the industry in the like late 90s, early 2000s, I mean, dudes were 20, 30 years older than me. And, you know. Oh, all of them. Yeah. If, if even only 20 or 30. Yeah. Like what, do, yeah. What, what contribution to this conversation could I have? And it's funny you said that. It was like, that. those were those years where I was like, 
I was grinding every minute I possibly was not in a shop or on the water, I was back out on the water. And it was to yes. develop that own personal confidence to exactly like what you're saying is to to speak up in that shop or circle or boat ramp and know that what you're saying is like, I've put the miles on, I've made the cast, I've rode this, like I've done the research, like I'm correct, you know? Yep. And that's huge. Think, that's huge. Yeah. That personal testing. Exactly. Like, is exactly. absolutely huge. Yeah. But I also got very lucky that, well, I've been, so we have this one gentleman named Steve Gossage who in our area, he's a legend. Um, yeah. And I worked with him all the time. And so I was intimidated for a long time. Um, but then just decided just to turn into a sponge. And so every time he would speak or had an interaction with a customer, I would try and be nearby and just listen yeah. and absorb as much as I could. And that I think helped my confidence a lot too, because I'm like, well, if Steve says it, it has to be true. Totally. Which who knows if that's true, but I just looked yeah. up to those guys so much and just absorbed every word of theirs, every little tip or technique. And they openly shared with me too. Yeah. I was very lucky. All our guides growing up would give me hints, tips, tell me different stuff. No one ever hid anything or was secretive. Yeah. They were always open books, which was amazing and helped me so much. Yeah. That's cool. And I mean, and obviously, you know, you add the fact that you were a a young woman to it in a predominantly, if not dominantly (laughs) male sport, that's a whole nother challenge. And it it was funny. I was reading that fly Lords article and they they really hammered. They, they, that was a thing. Like they wanted to know what it was like to be a, a woman in fly fishing. And it's interesting, you know, I've, I've been really blessed as part of being on the off the board to be around some amazing women, you know, between you and Corinne, like my whole, like, right. Like I just like utmost respect for both of you. And what's interesting about that is I've never, you know, you, you don't come off as the flag bearer for women in fly fishing. You know what I mean? Like you, you, I've never thought of you as like a, a social advocate or someone. I just have always been like, thought of you as like you do you and you let what you do show the advocacy i guess if not totally yeah and that's kind of my thing i've never really desired to be like a flag bearer for the yeah movement. well it was really funny yeah. you know i was reading the fly lords article and it was really like you could tell they really wanted to know like what do you think yeah. what is it like you are a woman and i'm just like you know that like i don't know rachel really well but like dude she's like one of the most feminine people in fly fishing I think I've ever met and like she just does her and that is in and of itself advocacy you know that's awesome yeah I I love to share that with even customers and stuff too like you can love to wear makeup have your nails pretty like totally wear cute clothes and then freaking real fish so (laughs) it does not have to be one or the other yeah and like to be a woman in the industry, you don't have to post like bikini pics with trout. Like you can just <laughs> catch a freaking trout. Like, yeah. yeah, you're totally right. Like I love a lot of the movements to get women fishing, especially yeah. the movements that try and um, erase that kind of intimidation factor. Yes. For sure. Yes, for sure. Um, but I also didn't grow up with a lot of female influences in fly fishing other than my mom. And so it was just me with a bunch of dudes growing up. And all our totally. Dads. And so totally. I think I kind of just took, that on to you like there's definitely things in the industry but i think 
I've learned so much from the incredible men in the industry yeah. that I think some of the, the man shaming that even goes on still is just not cool. Cause man, I would not be anywhere without all the awesome dudes in my life. Who yeah. taught me everything. Well, and I, I think some of it too, because like I've, I've had some guests on that, that, um, the NorCal women on the fly that run a, uh, a women's yeah. club and, you know, talk to some women is, you know, I, th- I think for you, you've always been in the industry, right? Like you were right. never yep. coming into it. You were just all in at birth. And I that's think some true. of that intimidation, if you come into it, that's a, maybe a different experience than if your first experience is working next to one of the area's legends in a fly shop. You know what I mean? And I totally agree with you on that. Yeah. And, but on the flip side of that, like there's not many shops that have a whole page on their website devoted to women. <laughs> you know, I, I was True. like totally yeah. stood out for me of like, you oh, get yeah. it. Like you understand that. And it seems like the shop is incredibly, I don't say promoting. That's probably not good English, but I mean, you definitely roll out the red carpet for any woman that's interested in the sport. Oh, absolutely. And I think a lot of that is um, intentional because yeah. it can't, because I've talked to so many women, like even just the simple act of trying on waiters, like going to a store to try on waiters is terrifying. And I know a lot yeah. of women who like want nothing to do with it, which is why we try and intentionally hire females so they can always have a girl who's like, yeah, I know it sucks to pull waiters over your hips. It's awkward. Like, <laughs> yeah. and I have to do it in front of a bunch of bros. Like it's a thing, but um, some of that too is just naturally because we have a, a lot of women. There's we were counting it in a, well a lot for a fly shop. We have four women who work for us, including myself, um, which we feel like is a lot for a fly That's shop. That's a lot. And it, yeah, yeah, and it's it's just natural though. So we like want to have the clothes that we want to buy and our friends want to buy, and so yeah. we have a huge women's section because we want to have stuff that we want. So well, yeah, because you got women that work works. there, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So, and our, we have a women's club that Pikes Peak Women Anglers and mm-hmm. all those chicks are super cool, super chill. And they want to have stuff, a place that they can go and try stuff on and not have to just do online. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, it's frustrating. And just the outdoor industry is in a general, a lot of times you can find stuff online for women's clothing and women's things, but not yeah. a good representation in store. And so we just try and yeah, be as easy as possible and you know, lower that barrier to entry that is definitely there. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's also fun just to hang out with girls and talk fishing. A lot of my personal female friends don't fly fish yet. And so the more I can convince to do it, the better. Yeah. That's, Selfish that's way. interesting, you know, cause he, I think you said in that fly Lords article too, that you, your boyfriend doesn't even fish. Like I thought that was interesting. No, he didn't. Yeah, well, ex boyfriend now. But that's yeah, okay. He didn't. That's okay. And I even well, he's an ex because like, he didn't fish, dude. I well, mean, that was a real thing for me, and I was like, okay, this is good. This is a great thing. It's fine. I can have my thing. He can have his. But yeah. I don't know now. It, when it's this much in your life and your passion, like oh, totally, it's really hard not yeah. to have that language. Yeah, <laughs> like if my wife was not, it, it did its. I mean, you're like me, like at this point in the game, like our whole life is built around this, like, you know, completely from where my house is to like how my house is laid out to like uh, just everything. You know what I mean? (laughs) My second bedroom and my two bedroom house is a tying room. I totally totally. get it. Yep. My kids shared a bedroom for a long time so that I had my room. 
like my office exactly. and like, yeah, I got, you know, three boats and you know, it just, if you don't, it, it's not that my wife is like a rabid fly angler or anything, but like she's down and she does it and she understands and she's passionate about it in her own way. Absolutely. And so, she probably loves that you're passionate about it. Totally. Totally. Supportive. Totally. And she loves that the kids love to do it. And then we all have this thing we share. I couldn't imagine not un, like not connecting on that with like the woman I shared my life with. You know what I mean? Like no. that, it's, uh-huh. that's hard. So it is. Well, I feel terrible for a lot of customers come in. They're like, well, I was going to go fishing, but I'm not allowed to. And I'm like, what? <laughs> or we literally have the customers who have separate credit cards for their fly fishing. So yeah, totally. Know. And it's totally. so uncomfortable. And yeah. I, yeah. I just, that's I almost as comfortable as the day in the boat with the dude who's trying to get his wife into it. And you're just like, oh, dude, no. th- yes. <laughs> this is so not going yeah. yeah, this is not going to take bro. Like, let me just no. like, uh-huh. I just saw her open the car door and I'm going to tell you right now, this ain't going to work. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. My it, favorite is the women who get into it, at least in our little Pikes Peak Remainder Club. Yeah. And their husbands aren't into it yet. Oh so dude. I convince their husbands and it's awesome. Dude, it's so good. I have a, like, I literally, I have them on the calendar for, I think it's next next week a couple days like yeah one of my favorite sets of clients i won't say them on loud on on the podcast (laughs) to like hurt any of my i have a lot of favorite clients i love all you but of course like it's this woman she's probably about your age and Mm -hmm. she is like full-on she goes on multiple meredith mccord trips a year like she is a junkie right like she loves fly fishing and her husband could care less And but he, me and him, like he's totally into punk music and like all the bands that I came up listening to. And like, dude, he comes and like we just hang out and like talk sports and punk rock the entire day while she fishes. He never even picks up a rod. Like, does just not even interested, dude. It's but it's great. Like they, he's got his thing, which is like trail riding motorcycles. And like, she's kind of into that. I think she goes with them a little bit, but like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, it's super cool. And I've met a ton of women that you're talking about where like husbands like, yeah, that's cool, but I don't, I'm not into it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Exactly. And but how cool that he still goes with her. Oh dude. It's I've, That is so supportive. Totally dude. And me and him, I like, he doesn't even fish and I love hanging out with him just as much as I love hanging out with her. Cause like we can talk baseball. Like, I mean like yes. basically all the nerdy things that I'm into that don't involve fish, like me and him mm-hmm. are like simpatico on and she's into all that stuff too. So it's just this awesome dynamic for the whole day. It's, oh, man. it's one of those days. I, I mean, you guide, you know, like you see those days on your calendar and you're just like, Oh dude, this is going to be great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there are. Yes. I definitely have some yeah. couples. Couples are my favorite to guide too. Yes. Um, but yes, I have my favorite couple. I also won't say it, but um, <laughs> she is so much more competitive and so much more like, well, like the lightning's not that close. Like he's <laughs> passing a little more than he is. So it's, it's a blast. I love it. That's funny. We got into some sketchy stuff together, the three of us, but it's, it's so fun to fish with them. But it's funny too. I was, I, you also said something that really connected with me in that fly Lords article is you said, you know, you will always guide because of the necessity of like staying connected to that experience. 
Yeah. And that like hit home so hard with me is like, as I've grown up in the industry and I've gotten older, like, you know, a full-time guide in California is doing 280, 300 days a year. And like, that's yeah. just not physically sustainable. So like, obviously yeah. I've gotten into other avenues of the industry and such, but I've always told my wife, like, I have to keep guiding because that's what the core of what I came up in and what I came up doing was. And that like, you can't market, you can't sell, you can't work if in the industry, I don't think if you don't have a connection to like what most people are doing and that's fishing, you know? Absolutely. And uh, that really vital. Yeah. Like how, how, uh, you know, obviously you started guiding probably at a young age. When did you start guiding? Um, in my, I don't know, early twenties, I didn't want to, (laughs) I got forced into it. Um, but I'm glad I did. Yeah. Don't look back now, but yeah. How, uh, how often do you still guide? Um, in the summer, I aim for once a week, and it ends up to be twice a week. But <laughs> are this those your, summer, are, I'm trying not to do that. Yeah. Are those your two days off? <laughs> yes. Oh, that's dude, exactly that's why brutal. this summer I'm like, Rachel, have boundaries. Um, <laughs> but then those people that you just love are like, hey, are you free on this day? And I'm like, I can be. Like, yeah. I will make that happen. Um, so this year is the year I'm going to try and really, really hold to once a week. But um I don't know, but I just, I enjoy it. And it gives me uh, a little bit of variety. Um, oh, for especially sure. just in my job, I love to fly shop and I love my staff. Like they're my priority over everything. Yeah. Um, is making sure my staff love their lives and their jobs. Um, but I want to get out and see fish and see the river and the sunshine a little bit too. Yeah. Um, this year I'm going to try and create balance between guiding and, and going fishing for fun. Um, yeah, but that's, I mean, I think everyone in this industry struggles with that if they guide to you because it's so fun to guide. It, it is. kind of quenches that same thirst in a lot of ways. Oh, very much. It's, you know, I've found that hard because it's like, I just, I mean, it's, it's hard to guide five or six days a week and then get up on that seventh or sixth day and be like, all right, boys, we're going fishing today. And right. you know yep. what I mean? Like, and that's where I've really tried to be like, dude, you got to cut back a little so that on that day off, you got the gas in the tank to take the boys out or the family out. You know what I mean? And that is the same thing you're saying is like, if you're working in the shop five days a week and then you guide one day, like the last thing you're doing on the seventh day is getting up and going fishing for yourself. You know, that's just not going to happen. And so that, that, you know, in my case, that, that personal fishing time with the family is what suffers. And in your case, it's that, you know, yeah. <laughs> Rachel's not Same getting bit. to fish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or teaching my like best friends to go and stuff yeah. like that. Or fishing with some of my best buds or fishing with my staff. Like that's, um, it's going to take a lot more of a priority than fishing with clients. Cause, and that's the nice thing though about not being a full-time guide is that my income is not dependent on that. Taking totally. that trip, oh, taking absolutely. that last minute outing. So, um, it's kind of a luxury, but it can become a beast at the same time. But yeah, um, yeah, I just I love my clients so much. But well, it gets addicting I love too. My sanity more. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, being on the water every day gets addicting. I know that it totally does. You well, know. especially if you if there's like an elusive fish that likes to hang out in certain areas. Totally. And you have a trip. 
you like maybe hook them, don't land them next trip, hook them, don't land them. And then all you can think about is, all right, well, oh, dude. how can I like, I don't need to grocery shop. Do I like grocery <laughs> are open at midnight? Like I can do that later. Totally. So things totally. become rationalized in ways they should not be probably. But yeah. Yeah. No. It's you, hard. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head on that one. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of guides, you have, I think I, I counted, you have 25 guides listed on your website. We do. Yeah. We have a couple more that I, my bad. I need to get them on the website. Yeah. To but update. Yeah. yeah. That, so <laughs> how does, how do, and I, I should know this, but I don't, are those guides, how does guiding work in the state of Colorado? Are those guys only taking trips from you? you hold like an outfitter's permit and they can only work for you or are those guys taking trips from their own? How's that work? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, the state of Colorado a while ago really preferred guides be considered employees Mm -hmm. tax wise, but we fought that tooth and nail. Um, so a lot of guides in Colorado are employees technically, so all of ours are 1099 independent contractors. Gotcha. Um, and we did that very intentionally with our guides in mind. And we talked to them about that. Like, what do you guys want to do? Like, no, how that's do you guys want to do, do your tax yeah. write-offs and yeah. that kind of stuff? And we feel like it really benefits our guides to be able to do that. And we don't force them to guide only for us. That's not a condition of us gotcha. hiring them. Because in our mind, you know, if you're guiding for another company when you're not guiding for us, that's more time that you're on the water. That's more information that you yeah. can then have to better serve our clients. Gotcha. Um, it does end up <laughs> that the majority of our guys are hyper loyal. Um, and that's for like a, a number of reasons, but that really works out well for us too. Cause then we can, if we keep them busy, they're on the water and then that's just an insane, like a, a happy cycle. Yeah. That's an insane amount of trips that are, you guys are running through your shop. I mean, you keep 25 guides yes. working. That's absolutely insane. It's a lot. It yeah. is a lot. But I feel like it's become, and it's just growing and growing and growing. Last year was our biggest year ever, which I'm sure a lot of guide services um, yeah. are experiencing the same thing. Part of the the cool part is we have more water permits in anywhere than anyone else in Colorado, gotcha. which helps us spread out. So we're not all stuck to Decker's Denver water. We have a lot of Mount Canyon. We have a lot of still water. We have mm-hmm. a ton of private water. So we are really blessed to have all the permits that we have and we care for them so much like gold. Like yeah. we take care of those permits and we follow them to the T because that is it makes a, a big difference for us too. Gotcha. And our guides are family. So many of them we've known um, since I was a little kid and they've just never stopped working for us and stopped guiding. Um, so I like to feel like I have 20 uncles basically is how it is. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. They're just amazing humans. There's not one person on our guide staff that we don't all like and enjoy. And that's kind of how we hire guides. Like would we want to spend four eight hours on the water with this person. And if that's in question or no, we don't hire them. So it's, it's a lot of hurting sometimes, but. Oh no. I mean, I I was just, I mean, you're on some, you know, you're on the South Platte and the Arkansas. I mean, you have trophy water around you. Like it, it makes sense that you would have a ton of guides, but, Mm -hmm. um, it's just, that's a lot of, that's, I mean, that's a lot of bookkeeping. That's a lot of scheduling. That's a lot of, that's a lot of work to run it that is. many dudes. It's a lot of personality. In yeah. Shop, yeah. Sure. yeah. You know, that's yeah. the, that's the, yeah. I mean, I think of, 
you know, 25 fly fishing guides is like 25 bowls and a pen. You know what I mean? Like they absolutely. Yep. Fly fishing guides are known for their dominant personalities, you know? Totally. Yep. And that, part of that is what's so fun too, though. Cause then when a customer books a trip, we can easily match them with one of our guides and be like, Oh, this person will get along so well with this guide. Yeah. And it's just, it gives us a lot of uh, flexibility to make really good pairings and really good matchings with clients to guide. Just yeah. That makes that. sense. I never thought of that. Specialty. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. It's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I've the only, I, I've known Juan for a while, Juan Ramirez and yeah, uh, it, yeah like one of it's funny. He's a guy his fly tying style is very conducive to Northern California. And, uh, oh, interesting. Yeah. Like not a lot of people out here are super aware of him, but he's kind of catching on out here just cause I talk about him and, you know, a couple yeah. of us do and such, but, um, I didn't know for the longest time that he worked for you. So it was kind of oh, weird. Yeah. 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 He's kind of a quiet dude though. Yeah. He, he's he kinda, super he flies under the radar. Yeah. yeah. He's like Ninja, Ninja quiet. You know what I mean? He's, big time yeah, yeah yeah and i can say that because i'm one of his best friends but he doesn't <laughs> really he doesn't for being so accomplished he doesn't really love the limelight it's like wave is on flag as much but incredibly he, good patterns they catch fish so well good yeah. instructor I've, i kind of pick up on that vibe like he's just doing his thing you know like oh yeah completely yeah, yeah. he's just cool to be the best at what he does the same as lane Yep. yep. So, so if someone from Northern California is coming out to Colorado Springs, what, what's the like top three hit list of places they need to fish out of your, out of your little barrio? Yeah. Ooh, that's fun. Um, pretty easy. I would say 11 Mount Canyon just to get the experience. Cause it's beautiful. Okay. There are so many trout per mile. Um, and it's just gorgeous you there's a lot of people in there but you can always find a place where it feels like no one's around you so and that's a walk and wade fishery yeah yeah cool cool super easy access um i'd also say um this is not an area we're permitted to guide on because there's no um commercial activity whatsoever allowed but the south slope lakes of pikes peak those are crazy they only allow a certain number of permits you have to apply for a permit the day before just the general public has to apply because oh, the wow. parking lot is small and they only yeah. allow i think like eight vehicles or so in a day oh damn. um you're only allowed it to fish it till like 1 30 in the afternoon but there are these bright colored up cutthroats that oh, wow. are like no other fish in the state they're just bright red um no one was allowed to fish them for over a hundred years until recently when they've started wow. to fishing. So it's just stellar. And it's really not very well known outside of the local area. If you're from here, you know about them. If you're not from here, you don't know to come to see them. But uh, anytime we have like reps or something like Josh from Umqua, we've gotten him out on boats over there before. And it's just, oh, they're so beautiful. So if you come out here, we'll take you there. But, and is that, um, is that like kayak float tube fishing? You can, yeah, you can do it from shore and have a ton of success or, um, one of them McReynolds, you can do a kayak or a float tube on as well. Oh, that's cool. You you can do either one. The high one Mason, you, it's a hike too. So it's a really pretty hike to it. 
awesome reservoir, gorgeous fish that'll just munch on terrestrials all day. Wow. That's awesome. So that's, that's a must see for sure. And then I'm trying to see, so that we got a river or still water. And then for like a small stream, which I love, I would do probably Beaver Creek below Skagway Reservoir. Gotcha. It's just a gorgeous hike, especially if you go in the fall, all the aspens fall down like there. And that's my like girly part. I'm like, it's so pretty when the aspens (laughs) fall, but, um, it is. And then you can just fish. Um, I, we usually hike three miles down and then fish back up. And then gotcha. tons of little browns, rookies. Very fun. That's Very cool. Now, yeah. is there drift boat fisheries around you guys? There are. Um, so the Colorado River is one. Um, okay. One of our guides guides up there, um, but it's so far away that we have not chosen to get permits. Gotcha. Um, but we also float the Arkansas River below Pueblo. Okay. And then the regular arc is a floatable river as well. The flows get hairy sometimes. Um, but we don't we're not in a place like the green or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, where yeah, it's yeah. just that's what you go there for. Gotcha. Our fishery is a lot more walk and wade. That's cool. Yep. That's cool. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, it's getting to getting to be an hour and I I know you this is your last what's Tuesday so this tomorrow's your yeah. mon- tomorrow's your Monday so tomorrow's my Monday <laughs> <laughs> um so let everyone know where they can check out the shop and kind of what you guys are up to because I know you guys are really you guys are putting out a lot of content and I know a lot of the guides do as well Juan does a bunch of great fly tying videos and such like that and I know you and me talked you're really working on yeah. putting out more so uh let everybody know where they can follow you yeah, so our Instagram, we're working on putting out some content and it's gotten so cool over the last few months. So just Instagram, anglers underscore covey. And then our website, just anglerscovey.com is a good place to um, A, see where to fish in Colorado, um, but also just see what we're all about and all the things we do. Um, and then our Facebook page too, just anglers covey on Facebook. Cool. Yeah, no, you got. I, I know you and me have talked, but I, I, I have noticed you guys are definitely doing a lot more stuff. And uh, oh, yeah. Oh, it's just of, a YouTube, too. YouTube is where we're putting a ton of new stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. And you can probably get to that via your Instagram and everything else. So, yep. Well, hey, I really appreciate having you on and uh, taking the time to talk with everybody and letting the listeners hear a little bit about you. So, um, yeah, thanks, Hogan. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. I want to make sure to thank my sponsors, Loon Outdoors and Sierra Nevada Brewing. And hopefully everyone's uh, enjoying this beautiful weather, some fresh rain and snow, and uh, hopefully everyone gets out on the water. Tight lines. No better, fish better. Part of the Barbless Podcast Network. Special thanks to our sponsors. Without them, this show would not be possible. Like this episode? Leave a review. 